This morning we are in Psalm 9. If you want to turn there, in the Bibles that are before you in the chairs is page 451. I don't know what page it is in your own Bible, though. You'll have to find that yourself. But It's on page 451 of the Bibles in your chairs. Last week we were in Psalm 8, and we talked about the glory of God's creation and all that He has done for us and asked the question, that David asked, what is man that you are mindful of him? We talked about how Christ uh, had ultimately come and that he is the true image of God and that we put our trust in him for salvation and everything else. And this week we're, we're to Psalm 9 and next week is Psalm 10. And the, those two Psalms, uh, a lot of commentators say, may have originally been one Psalm. They kind of go together. So this week though, we'll focus on Psalm 9. Next week, We'll focus on Psalm, Psalm 10, but if you want to think of it as Psalm 910, that, that will kind of work. So this is uh, Psalm 9. This is God's word to us, and we are thankful for it. Let's hear from his word. To the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have set on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with righteousness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. In the net that they hid their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We thank you for the work of your spirit that opens our hearts to to see and to hear and to receive and understand. We thank you for Christ who has gone before us, who has laid down his life for us, who is raised on high, uh, who we trust and love uh, in 
give praise to. We, we pray now that you would help us as we seek to understand what your word has for us this morning, uh, that you would increase our faith, that you would increase our trust in you, that you would increase our praise of you for your glory and our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Think for a second about a time where you felt insecure. And maybe it was the time in fifth grade where you dropped the tray in the cafeteria in front of the whole basketball camp at Catawba College. That was me, actually. Um, but think of a time that you, that you were insecure. And maybe think a little beyond that sort of insecurity. Maybe a time that you really maybe felt your safety uh, was somewhat in danger. Uh, a few years ago, uh, there was a time in Asheville where it was 1.30 or 2 in the morning, and we were all asleep in our house, and all of a sudden, the garage door opened. And after a while trying to figure out if it was a dream or not, we figured out that it was actually real. The garage door had opened. And so I kind of went up to, there was a room above the garage, and I went up there, and I looked out the window, and my car door was open. And there was a light on in the car, and you couldn't really see what was happening because it was dark. And I'm like, okay, car door's open, garage door's open. Uh, what do we do now? And so we, we made sure everything was locked down and, and called, the, called the police, and the, the good old Fletcher police came, and, and they kind of, you know, went out in the garage, and we had to do the thing, you know, like I had to kind of hide behind them while he checked and uh, looked under the van, made sure no one was there. And what we figured out that happened was that um, someone, I left my car door open, and someone had been kind of going through, and they, they were rummaging around for loose change or whatever they could find, I guess, and they accidentally hit the garage door opener. And they took off running. You know, they were the ones who were insecure, right? They took off running because they're like, oh, no. And so that was kind of for a moment there, we, you know, we were kind of concerned. Like, what, what is happening? Someone could be trying to get into our house. The question of security is one that we deal, deal with on a daily basis. The world promises security to us on every front, doesn't it? You can have financial security. You can have political security. You can have physical security. You can be safe. Your internet documents, they can be secure. Your child's car seat, it, it can be secure. We can make it work for you. There's emotional, mental, spiritual security. Whatever it is, this world has some kind of answer for it, doesn't it? It has a promise it wants to make to us that somewhere, somehow, that you can be kept secure for the right price. But as we know, and as we have experienced in different ways, that in a broken world, what is promised to us is not enough. That the internet security can be hacked, right? That the stocks can fall. That the people who protect us can also let us down. That the political climate can change drastically, even from day to day, from nation to nation. That even in, in marriage, vows by spouses can be broken. The things that we thought we could always count on can come and can go. In other words, the world we live in is insecure. It's an insecure place to be. John Stott, uh, in one of his books, and I'm going to have a confessional here. I don't know which book this comes from because I heard this quote in a Ravi Zacharias sermon on a CD called Sermon Jams, <laughs> which is sermons set to hip-hop music. So, uh, anyway, (laughs) 
So that's a true story. I don't, I don't know where it is. I, I need to find it, but I think you can find it on the internet. But all that to say, John Stott uh, ha- has this wonderful quote uh, when he talks about the insecurity that we face in this world due to, to sin. He says this, Many of the happenings of civilized society would not exist if it were not for human sin. A promise is not enough. We need a contract. Doors are not enough. We have to lock and bolt them. The payment of fares is not enough. We have to be issued with tickets, which are punched, inspected, and collected. Law and order are not enough. We need the police to enforce them. All these things and many others to which we have grown so accustomed that we have taken them for granted are due to our sin. We cannot trust each other. We need protection from one another. It is a sorry state of affairs. This morning's psalm reminds us that in the midst of such insecurity, both in this world and in us due to our sin, that if we are looking for security, if we are looking for assurance, if we are looking for justice, if we are looking for a place to, somewhere to put our confidence, there's only one place that we can go. And it's a throne. And there's one who's seated on the throne, distributing mercy and distributing justice and who is at work in this world and who will set things right. There's one who is a refuge for those who trust in him. And this psalm goes back and forth in some ways from, from lament to praise, but with the focus being on God's past, present, and future rule as king and judge. No matter what happens, that we can trust and depend upon God to ultimately set things right, to take action on behalf of his people. That in the midst of a world that's constantly changing, there's one who does not change that we can set our hope in. That when we come to deal with insecurity, it comes from being confronted with a sin that's either outside of us or inside of us. We have a God who renders judgment and who rules justly and who has mercy. David's confidence in ours this morning in Psalm 9, we'll see uh, in three different ways. One, we'll see in the presence of God. Secondly, we'll see it with the permanence of God's throne. Thirdly, we'll see the, the power of God at work on our behalf. And then we'll talk about how do we respond to that with the response of praise. So first, we, we see the presence of God. And after the, the psalm begins in verse 1 and 2 with worship and praise, and we'll, we'll circle back around to that later. In verse 3, we see David staking a claim that his enemies, when faced with the presence of God, will stumble and perish, while David is vindicated because God is present, that he is seated on his throne, he is giving righteous judgment. It's the same wonderful reminder that we have throughout all the scriptures that God is with us, that he is present, that he has not somehow removed himself from the situation. Last week, we talked about Psalm 8 and the wonder of the world that God has made and that not only did he create the world, but that he also sustains this world, that he is the ruler, that he is the Lord of the universe, and he is intimately involved in everything that is happening in the world. That he rules and acts on behalf of his people. And this presence of God is a comfort and a security for those who know him. 
Yet what we see in this psalm set up in multiple places is a contrast. So just as his presence is something that is comforting and securing for us, for those who have rejected him, it is not comfortable. And it is not secure for them. God's presence shows up not only in his ruling from his throne, but also in his remembering. Verse 12 tells us that he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Verse 18, it says, The needy shall not always be forgotten. And this is the opposite of what happens with the enemies that David describes in verse 4. The very memory of them has perished. But we're told here, God will remember his people. And knowing that God is present, that he is ruling, that he remembers us, that he knows us, it gives us great security and confidence. David had this confidence as well. as He was faced with trials. There's the enemies here that God speaks of. But David sings praise and he worships and he goes forth with confidence because he trusts in the presence of God. This is one of the reasons, and there's, there's others in the psalm, that we pray. So we're, we're acknowledging and we're asking for God to be present, to be with us no matter what the situation, whether we're on the mountaintop and we're filled with joy, or maybe we're in a valley and, and, we're fi- and it's filled with sorrow, or we're somewhere in between. We need the comfort and the security that comes from knowing God is with us, that He is present, that He is taking action, that He is fighting against our enemies, sin, the, the evil in this world, the, the devil. And we have here the promise that God has given all throughout the Scriptures. It's the heart of His covenant with His people, where He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be with you wherever you go. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, He, he comes to dwell with us, and to give Himself for us. And then the Holy Spirit who comes to to live in us, assuring us of the presence of God now and then for an eternity to come. And this presence is not something that's temporary or just kind of comes and goes, but it's something that is stable and it's constant that we can put our trust in. Not only is there God's presence that we have, but we also have, it says here, and we see this mainly in verses 5 through 8, we have the permanence of God's throne. So David sets up another contrast between the wicked nations and and God. Their time is up. Their time is over. Their cities have come to ruin. Their memory has vanished. But in contrast, the Lord sits enthroned forever. And His throne is one of justice and righteousness. And when it says the Lord sits enthroned forever, what it's saying is not that you know, sometime there will be a time when eternity starts and then the Lord will sit on His throne. No, it's the Lord has been on His throne from eternity past. He is on His throne now and He will be on His throne for eternity to come, forever and ever. So David here puts his hope and trust in that which is permanent and lasting. In the Lord and specifically in His reign as King. And I think one of the questions we probably want to look in the mirror and ask a little bit today is this, who or what is it that we run to? Who do we run to when we need a king? Or maybe when we want justice or when we want things set right. Sometimes we desire to be our own king, don't we? 
if I could just be in charge and somehow get everyone to pretty much agree with most things, or maybe everything, that I say and think, then life would be pretty good, wouldn't it? It's good to be king, right? Or maybe we don't want to be our own king, but we would default to lesser kings to give us security or happiness, thinking that, you know, if that, if that person is just in charge, then everything's going to be all right, okay? And this is the same trap that God's people have fallen into. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 8, where they go, and they go to Samuel, and they say, hey, they, they don't just ask nicely, they demand it. We want a king just like everybody else, right? All the other nations, they have kings, we want one too. And what's implied there is they're rejecting God as their king. And God actually says that to Samuel. Hey, they're rejecting me as their king. And then God gives them what they want. And they get King Saul. And you can read the rest of the story. We'll just say that that whole thing doesn't go too well for the most part. But David, who God raises up after Saul to to bring redemption to the king situation. David here in this psalm says, rather than try to elevate ourselves, or to settle for lesser kings, that there is one true king we must look to, that there is one who is forever upon his throne, who rules justly and rightly. And for us, the permanence of God's throne brings security. It brings confidence for when trouble comes, we know not only is God with us now, but we know that there's a day coming where God will judge the world in righteousness, as it says in verse 7 and 8. Again, this is good news. If we put our faith and trust in Christ, if we're clinging to Him by faith, that our judge, our King, He's also our advocate. First John 2 says we have an advocate. That's one who represents us, who intercedes with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, the righteous one, then our sins have been put upon Him. And they've been fully forgiven through His work on the cross. And His righteousness, all His goodness that He has done, that He lived the perfect life to do, His righteousness has been given to us. And so we stand before the throne of God in His presence, dressed in righteousness that's not our own, but that belongs to Jesus, who lived and died and was raised for us. So hearing that God would judge the world in righteousness is good news for us. That he will set things right. But the psalm shows us again by the way of contrast, this is not good news for those who would reject God. So we have the the presence of God with us. We have the permanence of God's throne. And then thirdly, we're going to see the power of God at work on behalf, on our behalf. David here invites us to place our trust in God, to to seek Him. It says, if you start looking closely at verse 9 and 10, to seek Him in our time of need, not only because He's present, not only because His throne is permanent, but also because He is powerful. Verse 9 tells us, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And we're to run to Him for protection and deliverance. It says, There in verse 10, that those who know your name put their trust in you. And you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sometimes when we hear the word seek, 
we automatically kind of think hide and go seek, right? Or maybe you're looking after something, trying to find something that was lost. And so, well, you know, then we think, well, God's not lost. And God's not really exactly hiding here, is he? So what does it mean to seek him in this, in this case? Well, here and, and also in other places, especially in the Old Testament, to seek the Lord means to come again to the place where something is known, something is known to be available to us. It's to, to come again to something familiar, to something where a place we know we can get help and to return to that place. It's kind of like when someone says, hey, there's a storm, seek shelter, and you know the place you're supposed to go. You go to what's been, been there before, the place you can receive protection. And in Psalm 9, like other Psalms, in the time of adversity, David invites us to seek the Lord. And he remembers what God has done for him and his people in the past. He, re, he recalls how he has exercised power on behalf of his people. He claims God's promise of being present in the here and now. And he looks forward to what God is going to do in delivering his people. And he anticipates the permanence of the Lord being on his throne forever. And so he says, in light of all these things, trust in the Lord. Seek him. Call upon him. The nations have forgotten God, but those who know his name will seek him. Think, think for a moment. Let's, let's pretend for a moment that you're famous. Now, some of you don't have to pretend too much. Um, you might have Wikipedia pages or something. But pretend for a moment that you're famous. And because you're famous, you have to have secret service level security detail with you 24-7. And there's two things that would make that security effective. One would obviously be that they are present with you. The other would be that they got some power, right? That they're strong, that they can do what it takes to protect you. They've been to the gym a few times in their life, right? They know how to use various self-defense weapons. They've had the best training in order to keep you safe. Now imagine for a moment you're famous and they assign me to be your security. Um, I'm tall, but I'm slow. I, you know, I don't even play paintball. You know, I haven't been to the gym all that much. But hey, I'm going to be with you, right? I'm, I'm not going to leave your side. You know, I will sing you all the 80 songs you need. I mean, I'm going to be there. But that's not very comforting, is it? Right? I'd be present, but I wouldn't have any power to do anything. Flip it around. Maybe you have legit Secret Service level security guy. Someone who's strong and mighty. But he doesn't show up for work. And he's not there. Power, but no presence. But this psalm brings those two things together. It says, our God, the one who is permanently on the throne, he is both present and powerful. Verse 9, the Lord is a stronghold. Some translate this verse to mean top security. That he puts you out of reach of the enemy. <laughs> and he says, if, if you want this person, you've got to go through me. He protects us. He sits enthroned in the place of power and authority. Verse 13 shows us his power. He lifts us up from the gates of death. He gives us salvation that causes us to rejoice. The Lord makes himself known. He reveals his power. He executes judgment upon the wicked. David calls upon the Lord 
toward the end of the psalm, verse 19, to rise up, to arise, judge the nations, to put them in fear, to remind them that they are but men. It goes back to what we talked about earlier, that although we, we want to reject God as king and elevate ourselves or someone or something else in his place, we're reminded here of our weakness, of our limitations, that we are but men. And we need a real king. We need a true king. So David prays for God to reveal himself, to act, to expose the world's need for a king. Throughout this psalm, David has used, and it's kind of all over the place, past, present, future tense to describe God's judgment. He's acted on behalf of his people in the past. He's, he's enthroned now, and he acts on our behalf in the present and that he will be on his throne forever. And as you read through the psalm, there seems to be a time where David acknowledges that God acted in a specific situation, and he's praising him for it, that God brought judgment and deliverance. But as the psalm ends, there's, it seems like a new situation has come up. And so David calls upon the Lord again to come in his power, to stand up, to fight on behalf of his people. And this is so helpful for us when we think about our lives, isn't it? That we, we might go through a trial. We might go through something difficult and be truly delivered by God. And then the next week or the next month or the next year, another trial comes, another difficult season. And one, one commentator, just he said this quote, which I, I really appreciated, that wonderful deliverances can be followed by fresh needs. So we see the psalm giving, giving us, you know, God has done something. Praise be to Him. And then toward the end, God, please do something again. And entrusting ourselves to Him. And so what do we do with all this? What is, what is the response that we're called to today? And this psalm, Psalm 9, moves us to a constant response of prayer and praise. And so... <clears throat> We see toward the end of the psalm what, what brings about fear in those who oppose God, brings about praise in His people. And as we go before God, when we go to Him and we're, we're going in prayer, we're asking for His presence and we're asking for His power that He would take action on our behalf. And then in praise, we are coming before God as David does in verses 1 and 2, giving thanks for our whole heart, remembering what God has done before and then singing praises to the Lord in anticipation of what He will do in delivering us in the future. This praise is not limited to singing once a week, as beautiful as it is here, and the joy we have with that each week. It's not limited to that. But it's a life of seeking the Lord, of living for His praise and glory. This praise is not, it's not just external with our lips, but verse 2 shows us it's rooted in hearts of joy and of gladness. In verse 11, this praise is not confined to, to us in here, but it says it's to be told among all the peoples that they may know the deeds of the Lord, that we will rejoice in our salvation, praising God who has lifted us up from the gates of death, that Jesus our King, through His life, death, and resurrection, has conquered the enemies of sin and death and hell, that we would be brought through the gates of Zion, to eternity in the presence of God who is with us and for us. 
So let's praise Him and let's give thanks to Him. Please pray with me. God, we are grateful that You have given us Your Word and for the reminder that we need a King. That we need a King who is present and powerful and permanent and also who has mercy and who has displayed mercy to us by coming to us, by laying down his life, by going to the cross and dying for us, being raised again and ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God. We thank you for our Lord Jesus for what he has done for us in saving us. We pray uh, that your spirit this week would work in us a heart of praise, that we would ascribe glory and honor to you, uh, that you would increase our thanks, that you would make us fruitful for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.